either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. It's Christmas week, and just like any other year, that means big movies, and we've got some to talk about. Glad to be back. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and we're going to start out with a rewind to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure finds her facing two all-new foes, Max Lord and the Cheetah. It's Wonder Woman 1984. Citizens of the world, I'm here to change your life. Anything you dream of, you can have it. You look like you saw a ghost. I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an apex predator. You've always had everything, while people like me have had nothing. Well, now it's my turn. Get used to it. Barbara, what did you do? Parachute pants? Yeah, uh... Does does everybody parachute now? I just looked up the lyrics to the TV show theme song. Wonder Woman. Dun, 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 dun. But right. I never knew the actual lyrics, I don't think. They're the dumb it's the dumbest <laughs> song I've ever heard in my life. It's the dumbest song that's ever written. It's like uh, it's like in Tommy Boy when they're trying to remember all the lyrics to uh, it's the end of the world and you know it. Nobody <laughs> all, only only people know it's Wonder Woman. Yeah. So don't don't look them up. They're no, dumb. they're so dumb. But that has nothing to do with the new Wonder Woman movie. Uh, Patty Jenkins back at the helm. She co-writes as well as directs, and the bottom line here, I think both of us liked this one better. We liked the first one. We did. In we fact, did. In fact, the first, the first two-thirds of it are really solid, and then for us, it fell apart in the, in the last third, where the final act there kind of fell apart, but uh, we like this one better. Yeah, I think that, as you said, it gets stronger as it goes, it you does. know, uh, and, but also, and it's fun. It's funny. It's funnier. And a lot of times I think that, you know, the first installment suffers a little bit from the need to origin. establish the yeah, origin. Origin story, sure. And uh, and so this one, you know, they're free from that. Right. Uh, and it's it's interesting because it's a very, it's a, it, in a lot of ways a different character for Godot because... In the original, it's a little bit of a fish out of water. It's almost a coming-of-age story, really. And in this one, whoa, whoa, 50 years later, right? And so she's more world-weary. Oh, yeah. She's, you know, she's fully the goddess. She understands that she is, and she's... Uh, so it's it's a very different character, and I think she did a great job with it. Yeah, so she's now... It's 1984, obviously, hence the title. So they have a lot of fun with that, especially early on. Uh, speaking of fish out of water, because they find a, a, an organic, a nicely organic way to bring back her boyfriend, mm-hmm. Steve Trevor, uh, played by Chris Pine, of course. Now, he's the fish out of water yeah. because he comes from the 40s and now he's in the 80s. And they have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. And some of the things that that she had to put up with in the first one, now he has to put up with, like fashion shows yep. and getting used to uh, yep. what you're wearing and things like that. So they have fun with that, especially early on, before things get going. And uh, Wonder Woman, Diana, has to... Uh, Take on, as it said in the synopsis there, a couple of villains. Now, a lot of times in these superhero movies, you always say, you know, when you have more than one villain, that is a problem. Uh, I don't think it adds up to too much of a problem here. You've got the one the one villain is Max Lord, a big uh, megalomaniacal tycoon played by Pedro Pascal, known mainly these days from The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And he's nicely over the top. Yeah, he does a good job. Yeah, in a very Trumpian character. Uh-huh. 
And then you've got uh, Barbara Minerva, played by Kristen Wiig, and she is just a really nerdy, mild-mannered gemologist working with Diana at the Smithsonian, because that now is where Diana Prince has been working, at the Smithsonian. And uh, they all get tied in as they're trying to track down this 4,000-year-old artifact that apparently grants wishes. But, of course, when you get your wish granted, it takes something as well. And uh, Diana, Diana, in her research, finds out that over the many centuries, whole civilizations, their downfall can be linked to this artifact. So then the big power struggle happens between uh, Wonder Woman and the two villains once uh, Barbara Minerva morphs into the cheetah about who's going to control this. So that's where the big conflict is. And you're right, as, as you said, as, as we both feel, the movie gets better as it goes along because it ups the uh, heroism, it ups the thrilling set pieces, and it becomes politically savvy. I mean, it's making a statement. It is. It is mm-hmm. And it also becomes very hopeful. It's interesting that they chose 1984 as a setting because, first of all, it's it's fun. It you know it's it's just fun. It's colorful. It's gaudy, yeah. and that and they have a fun time with it. I mean, the whole first sequence, action sequence, is set in a mall, yeah. which is so 1980s. Yeah. And you know they've got whatever leg warmers, and they've got Shoulder like pads. yeah, you know all of it, and that's fun. And they've got a little uh, Frank goes to Hollywood playing in the background at a party, which is always welcome. But it actually is, was a smart decision because it harkens back to the sort of Reagan era, not just excess, but greed, right? Greed mm-hmm. is good. That oh, is, yeah. That's really the basis of this. And once you take the character, the Pedro Pascal character, who's, who's, who's pretty clearly patterned after Trump, it, I think, without being preachy in any way, with really just staying true to its comic book hero movie roots, it speaks really relevantly to what we're all living through right now. Yeah, and for me, even more than greed, it was about truth. And the fact that truth still matters. You have to be able to have some truth and to identify fact from fiction. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then you're doomed and maybe not even a superhero can save you. And it comes down to to truth and standing by it and and believing in it. And um, it, it does make that make that statement about the times that we're living in for sure and looking ahead to better times. Like I said, it's very hopeful by the end. It's also a little touching. And fans of longtime fans of DC films, I saw some definite homages to the first two Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Yeah, you said Just that a little bit, a couple clear ones. But we'll we'll see how how other people feel about that. And also, there is you may have heard by now there is a mid credits. It's not end credits. It's a mid credits stinger. Yeah, extra scene that I it's think nice. It is. I think it will be very crowd pleasing. I, I think it, it really will. So. Uh, all in all, I think this is going to be big. It's on HBO and in theaters on Christmas Day, both at the same time. So as we said this morning on TV, we're always going to take a big screen version of a movie. Now, right now, very understandable if people don't feel comfortable yeah. about that. Yeah. This one, though, it would be great to see on the big screen. It really would. Because these you know, big superhero epics, if they're done right, they're sort of made for the big screen. And that's what it would be great if the climate was right to get people into the theater for this because i think this is just the kind of film that could do it so unfortunately we are not there yet no so just watch it at home but (laughs) just watch it at your house (laughs) but it is it is if you're comfortable it is playing in theaters uh, across the country on the same day so and we both enjoyed it as we said better than the first one and that's wonder woman 1984 Let's check out the latest from Disney Pixar next. A musician who has lost his passion for music is transported out of his body 
must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. This is Soul. Is this heaven? No. It's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interests before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't want to. Uh. <laughs> wow. It's my life. Is all this living really worth dying for? You're still alive? Can you help me get back? No way! There I am. What are we waiting for? Wait, not me! Well, this is longtime Pixar veteran, uh, Pete Doctor, and uh, he's teaming up with Kemp Powers as co-writer and co-director. And this is Pixar, as we've said many times, they've set themselves a very high bar. Yes. Extremely high bar, because the best of Pixar is just fantastic. And this... It follows a little bit of the same formula, but but it also, I think, tweaks the formula in important ways as well and comes up with a really deceptively simple, very effective, touching, and fun movie for the family. Yeah, I, you know, I think one of the things that, that has always set Pixar apart from other cartoon studios is that it doesn't really follow a formula. And this one, I was absolutely, in several places, stunned by the direction this movie took. And um, and, I, and I felt for a while that maybe it was getting too complicated. But like you said, by the end of the movie, it's actually, it's a, it's a very, very simple story about just find what makes you happy. Yeah, about being a fulfilled human being. And also, you've got an African-American lead character, mm-hmm. I believe for the first time mm-hmm. in a Pixar film. And that is Joe. And he's a music teacher, middle-aged music teacher. He's voiced by Jamie Foxx, and Joe still harbors um, aspirations to be in a successful jazz combo, Mm -hmm. other than being a teacher. And just when he gets his chance to get on stage with one of his favorites jazz artists, uh, he has an out-of-body experience and then has to fight to get back to the life he was living, since he feels he was just on the verge of something. And while he's in the the other worlds, he meets up with this infant soul, 22, who kind of just can't find a, a way to get to Earth. She actually just doesn't want to. Right. She's, she's been through. She's... She doesn't want to at all. So she's avoiding it at all costs. And she she right. teams up with Joe. And it and it's and that's a voice of Tina Fey. And that was such a funny perspective. And she, of course, who's a genius and incredibly funny, she just delivers the line yeah. so perfectly the two of them really work well together fox and Faye. They're, oh they're, yeah they the, do the two voices are great and it and it becomes such an interesting journey sort of a madcap journey to this simple ending mm-hmm. and, and also they work with two different styles of animation which are both just fantastic oh they really are here's it's another, beautiful yeah uh, here's another one that w- i'd love to see on the big screen but right now this is on disney plus and in joe's world you have a totally different style of animation than the quote-unquote, other worlds. Then it becomes very abstract, even cubist. A very Picasso vibe going on with some of these characters. Without the colors. Yeah, (laughs) without the... It's just great. It It sets the mood perfectly. Plus, you've got another great score by... Uh, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, and some also some some great jazz compositions yes. as, as, as well. Plus, more great additions to the voice cast: uh, Graham Norton, Alice Braga, Felicia Rasad, Questlove, Angela Bassett, uh, David Diggs, Wes Studi in there as well. And they each find ways to stand out in their own way. So, uh, a lot of music, and it moves, and it's crazy, and it gets into all these situations. And much like a lot of the the Pixar's, I guess if you would 
talk about a Pixar formula. They, they're very often deal with secret worlds. Sure. And you've got a secret world going on here, but you think you know the lesson. You think you know what it's going to tell mm-hmm. you at the end, and you really don't. No. And it sits there. It's almost like an anti-climax where you go, oh, but then realize <laughs> how deeply felt yeah. that is. You, yeah. don't, you don't have to overthink it. No. But it's a very fun ride. Actually, it's sort of it's sort of pointing that you're overthinking this. Yeah. And that was part of Joe's problem in the first place. That's Yeah. Right. yeah. It becomes... Crazy and silly, but but very existential, too, because it reminded me of the little hint that we got of existential angst of Bing Bong in Inside Out, which I loved so much. That's a great one. It is. Uh, And just that, remember how just heart-tugging Bing Bong was? Mm -hmm. And this expands on that a little bit more. Uh, about your your search for for fulfillment and uh, but it's fun and it's funny and I think it's it's good for the family this holiday yes. again right at home you got Disney Plus fired up and you can fire it up as many times as you want to and uh, we really thought this is another one that, that that achieves that that helps keep that bar high for Pixar yeah. and it is soul. Well, let's make a sharp right turn next. A young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who cross her path. This is Promising Young Woman. Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I'm a nice guy. Are you? One, two, three, four. Cassandra? <laughs> We're in class together at Forest. You would have been a great doctor. What happened? I left under unusual circumstances. I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was hoping you'd feel differently by now. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? Boy, this one, talk about, <laughs> as you aptly summed it up in your written review, this is just a kick to the nads. Yeah, it is. Um, talk about just laying down the gauntlet and saying, uh, you know what, this is my statement. This is, if you think I'm coming on too strong, F you. Yep. This is it, man. And, uh, boy, it, it really is going to spark conversation. It's going to spark some people to to look at themselves and hopefully look at an issue in a new light. We were blown away by it. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, we'll get to this central performance, just this unbelievably good central performance in a second. But one of the things that I love so much about this movie, but what I like about it um, in the writing is that she's not Emerald Fennel, writer-director, you know, she's not trying to be incredibly nuanced. She, you know, she's just making a statement about what we all really know is true, mm-hmm. which is that it takes very little for a guy to be considered a good dude, and even less for him to consider himself a good dude. And he, she just goes after that one concept with a sledgehammer. Well, that's why this title is so great, because I think we've seen and heard the term promising young man used in court oh my transcripts God. by judges oh, yeah. to avoid giving a harsh sentence right. to somebody. It's it's just astounding. And this is driven by a fantastic central performance by Kerry Mulligan as Cassie. Uh, who was doing this, uh, setting up these good dudes uh, as kind of a test to see what they'll do when, when they have a chance of a almost blackout drunk woman yep. at, at a bar. And she has a plan in mind for those naughty boys. And Carrie Mulligan is just fantastic in this role. And it's also 
darkly and sharply funny quite, it is. quite often. It's very, very funny. I don't think I was entirely prepared for that. It's a very funny movie. It's it's uh, it's a mean sense of humor, but yeah. it's very funny. And Carrie Mulligan is, there's a particular scene in a coffee shop where she's just staring somebody down after having spit in their coffee, and it's hysterically funny. Yeah. It's an incredibly funny movie. It's also really, really well written. You know, this um, quest that she's on where she's she's, you know, pretends to be obliterated in bars, it's really just what she does because she doesn't have anything else to do. It's really just she's just she's just she's just numbing herself, treading water. And this is and then she finds direction um, after she's been doing this for a little while. And, and then once she finds the direction, the movie really takes off in a very specific, well-written and surprising but honest way. Yeah. She also finds hope. For a decent guy and an old classmate played by Bo Burnham. Who's now, great. Remember how Bo Burnham blew us away with his movie Eighth Grade? Yeah, as a writer-director. As a writer-director. And and now he's back, and he is. He's great as is this uh, this former classmate who is interested, when they meet up again, yeah. in the coffee shop. Yep. He's interested in, in pursuing something with her. And maybe he's maybe he's the nice guy that she's been looking for. Uh, but yeah, he's he's great as well. And it's it's just so bold and uncaring about what you think about that boldness. Yeah, and, and, and that's perfectly personified by Carrie Mulligan mm-hmm. because that's exactly what Cassie is. She couldn't possibly care less how you're responding to her. Right. And the and performance you, you, is so dead-eyed. She's just staring right at you the whole time uh-huh. as she is, you know, just twisting the knife. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. In such a great way. It's it's funny, but it's also, it's extremely urgent, extremely topical. This is a, a subject that deserves to be discussed yeah. and talked about. And if this is what it takes to do that, well, bravo. But it's also incredibly entertaining. It and, is, And you know yeah. something else I want to give credit for? Uh, Fennel's casting. The So not just these two core roles, but the entire ensemble around mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan. They're actors who also do a lot of comedy. Even though they're not really called upon to do comedy here, they are actors who can find that perfect sort of position between the horror of the reality of what's going on and the absurd comedy of that same situation. Yeah, you've got... Uh, uh, Jennifer Coolidge yeah, and... Alison Brie, uh, McLovin, Christopher Mintz-Plasse. Clancy Brown, yep, Adam Brody. Yep, uh, yep. It's, it's a very good ensemble. That is a good point. And it leads to quite a bit of fireworks in the finale, yeah. which we won't even go anywhere near spo- also spoiling Also, the you. use of Toxic is just, oh, just yeah. spot on. Yeah, I the, have had that in just that... Yeah. Meh, 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 yeah. meh, I've had that in my head since I... And we started seeing trailers for this in the before times. And I, I was so I was so eager to see it. And I and I know a lot of other people have been as well. And I just want to let all of you know it's so well worth the wait. Yeah. Rated R, as you might guess. And, oh, it, yeah. and it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And this is in theaters only, only unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, in theaters only this Christmas. But boy, so worth it. Promising young woman. Let's check in with GD National Treasure Tom Hanks. He's a Civil War veteran agreeing to deliver a girl taken by the Kiowa people years ago to her aunt and uncle against her will. They travel hundreds of miles and face grave dangers as they search for a place that either can call home. This is News of the World. It says your name is Johanna Leonberger. Indians took you when they attacked your family six years prior. Her mother, father, and sister were... Well, they passed. She's got family down in Castroville. Captain, why are you doing this? She needs to laugh and dream. 
She needs new memories. Word is she's that captive out of Wichita Falls. What do you want? How much you want for her? This child is not for sale. Ah, you can't have her! And I'm taking her home! Boy, this is a beautiful film. It is a beautiful film. And when you see the, the director is Paul Greengrass, and you think about the kind of movies that he's famous for, especially even one with Tom Hanks, Captain Phillips, yeah. and then the Jason Bourne things, he most people would identify a style of Paul Greengrass with a frenetic yeah. camera movements, handheld, lots of cuts. This is not that at all. Not at all. It's, you know, which that would be not just atypical for a Western, but it just wouldn't fit. No, it wouldn't fit at all. And he does. He uses a, a much more traditional Western style here, really patient camera, very sort of a lot of flowing movements. It's a very lyrical uh, filming technique that he uses, which suits the material beautifully. Yeah, it's based on a book, and it's also interesting in just the profession of Tom Hanks. He's a He's a newsreader, and right. he goes from town to town, and that's where the movie gets his title. He delivers the news of the world, and there's a there's a sly undercurrent about today's news yeah. situation going on here, too. But the main adventure is him trying to deliver this girl, and it, it's not a, a mission that he really wants. No, uh, he's he, sort of forced to accept He comes it. across this girl in a, an accident, like a, a horse-drawn carriage kind of an accident out in the wilderness, and he hangs on to her until he finds some She's got paperwork on yeah. her, and basically the tribe that she has been living with, they've been forced out of the territory, and she has been reclaimed, and she was being delivered to her living aunt and uncle. But she's been with these people since she was a small child. She doesn't really even speak English. She maybe never did. It seems like maybe she spoke German in the first place. Yeah. And the um, the basically... He just decides he's going to have to be the one who transports her because he doesn't trust the system to just leave her someplace until somebody, you know, in the military can take her. So he takes her under his wing and reluctantly has to deliver her. And it's only about it's a couple of hundred miles, but they're very, very treacherous miles that he has to take her. And the girl is played by Helena Zengel. Uh, never seen her before. She's great. She is great. They're, they're great together. And obviously they're going to come across... Uh, people who would like to take the girl off Tom Hanks's hands uh, mm -hmm. along the way. And so you do have some set pieces that are tense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There are some great action sequences. There are some great, you know, gunplay sequences. Yeah, right. But even those... What Greengrass does is is capitalize on the changing relationship between these two people. And that's what is at the core of the whole movie is mm -hmm. their relationship with each other and how it's affecting them as people. And so I, I thought that was really great the way he was able to keep the movie very action oriented and exciting. But still, we're uh, what we're learning is more about these two characters. Yeah. And it's nice because Tom Hanks is just is perfect. Well, he's, he's perfect for most things. But to be a, a, a Western hero. Yeah. Just seems perfect. We, of course, we've seen him be Sheriff Woody, right? But, but, but ever a since real then, Western, yeah. That's the thing. Ever since then, and I mean, in almost every you know role he's he's been in in the last thirty five years, it, he he's just a guy that you trust to do the right thing, and that's that's mm -hmm. why he's perfect for this role. Yeah, and this is also populated with a nice ensemble of even if you don't know some of the names here, you'll know the faces. Yeah, just small roles, but important roles. Yeah. That uh, just pop up along the way, along along their travels with the captain and the young girl. And, uh, yeah, it's really it's just a very lyrical, peaceful journey between these characters that's, that's populated by some 
some moments of tension. And it's really a, just a nice film for any time, really, but especially it's got some nice feels for the holiday season. Yeah, I think so, too. And this one, I believe, is only also in theaters. just only in theaters, at least for now. And it is rated PG-13, News of the World. And one more, let's go to Netflix for the post-apocalyptic tale following Augustine, a lonely scientist in the Arctic, as he races to stop Sully and her fellow astronauts from returning home to a mysterious global catastrophe. It's called The Midnight Sky. This is Ether. Does any one copy? We're not receiving anything. That puts our last contact with Mission Control out. Three weeks. Why is it so quiet? That's either. It's a spaceship that we hoped would be our future. I have to warn them about the conditions on Earth. I don't know all the details. It started with a mistake. There is an antenna that's stronger than ours. We get to that antenna, they'll hear us. Take a deep breath. Well, this is the latest directorial effort from George Clooney, who also stars, and his character is not only named Augustine, Dr. Augustine Lofthouse. That's quite a name. Huh? <laughs> huh? That's a name. And it's this is based on a book, and for people that may have forgotten, George Clooney has received what I thought was a deserved, well-deserved Oscar nomination for directing years ago for um, Good, Good Night, Night and Good, Good luck. luck. Love that. Oh, yeah. And he's it's a very steady, and I think pretty darn impressive job here of directing i don't think the directing is the problem so much i think the story is bogged down by the fact that it's put together with so many familiar very familiar science fiction building blocks yeah i think you're right i mean it's basically three separate stories right it's a flashback story of of uh, young augustine it's the out in space story of the crew he's trying to keep from coming back to earth he's trying to contact them so that they don't kill themselves coming back to an earth that's too late to save and then it's the the, the main story of of him in the arctic uh, and he also has a young girl to deal with yes he does and and she also is wonderful that little girl yeah because uh augustine has decided to stay at his observatory while everyone else has been evacuated underground after this all, all it's called it is an event yep uh, and the movie kicks off three weeks after the event and he wants to stay because he has to try to make contact with uh, Ether, uh, the ship and the five the five crew members, and tell them, like you said, it's not Earth is not worth coming home to. But yeah, there's this girl that was missed during evacuation, and uh, she is there with him in the observatory, and they have to make a journey, another a journey, kind of like the News of the World journey, to a stronger antenna, antenna that will actually contact ether because the one he has in his observatory won't do it so they have a a journey to make as well and i think there the situation the relationship between augustine clooney and the young girl they're the strongest in the movie no question about it in fact had it been a short film yeah where we just had hints of what was happening in the other two storylines and all we had was that central that the two of them and and their journey it would have been a really strong film and also another another uh similarity to News of the World is that it's got a couple of instances of all of a sudden tension. Yeah. And really, I thought, well-staged set pieces of tension and action, one with a snowmobile mm -hmm. and then another one with the, the effect of blood loss in space. Yeah. Those were really well done. But uh, I think the weak point here, really the, the weakest point are, are the flashbacks 
with young Augustine. I thought really overwritten. Too much telling uh, about the characters and their motivations, which surprised me because the screenwriter here is Mark L. Smith, who did The, the Revenant. Revenant. Yeah, and also Overlord, which yeah, we liked a lot. we did like Overlord. I thought that part was really overwritten, and to a lesser extent, the parts aboard the ship where you have the crew members... And a great cast there. Great cast there. You've got uh, Felicity Jones mm-hmm. and David Oyelowo mm-hmm. and uh, Kyle Chandler, who's playing a, a perfect Kyle Chandler part. <laughs> <laughs> Damien Bashir, Damien Bashir there as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, so, so you've got these these good actors and and uh, in interesting situations. It's just that boy, they're they've really been used a lot. And yeah. we this movie sort of made us talk amongst ourselves about which genre. Borrows more. Borrows more. Uh, horror or, or sci-fi. sci-fi. Now, we see the most horror, so I was kind of leaning in that direction. But, boy, I think especially with recent sci-fi movies, you just see these these recycled ideas. Yeah, you really do. And I, th- I feel like we're being... We sound awfully critical of this film. Uh, I think we both thought it was an enjoyable movie, yeah. a good a good movie to watch. It just didn't bring a lot that was new to the table. Right, right. It it You just see a lot of familiarity, but it, it's well... Constructed, it is. It's mm-hmm. well constructed, and it's not that there's anything wrong with these themes because that's why they've been used so often. And Clooney, as a performer, is great in this movie. He does a great job. Very understated, very gritty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, as we said, those parts mm-hmm. where his character and the girl, those are the best in the movie. Uh, but yeah, it's it's totally fine, totally fine. Just really going over some very familiar territory that made me. I actually, I think both of us really think well. Why did he gravitate yeah. toward this project? Yeah. Maybe the book, we haven't read the book, but uh, it just seemed just, just just awfully, awfully familiar. But still, well put together, and that is on Netflix uh, right now called The Midnight Sky. Hey, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. All right, time to check in with Daniel Baldwin and put some schlocking in our Christmas stocking. Oh, you weren't ready for that, were you? You're you were always, not. You're so proud of you yourself. You want to see her face right now. <laughs> kind of a smirk, really. I've been sitting on that one since this morning. I thought, oh, I can't wait to bust that out. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, giving us all the latest news. And I know the big one I saw a headline about a, a big old for sale sign is out. Yes, MGM has once again placed themselves up for sale. Uh, they did it. A, they did it a couple years earlier, and no one, you know, took the bait. I suspect someone will do it now, but I don't know if they'll do it for the price tag that they want right now, which I believe is eleven billion dollars. Oh wow! <laughs> let's all let's all three of us look through the cushions of the couch and, and get some change. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. When you have a price tag like that, I mean, who who could pay it? I mean, there's no, you you start thinking of Disney. I mean, who's got that money? Uh, I think there are a couple people that could afford that, but I don't know to be mean for a moment that MGM is actually worth that much. Right. Yeah. At yeah. least that particular amount these days. Disney could afford it, but I don't know if they would be willing to buy it simply because they're still working out. You know, where yeah. they bought Fox. They yeah. still mm-hmm. haven't streamlined and restructured everything. Yeah. What you could be looking at, if and when it does sell, is, you know, maybe Universal would buy it or maybe even Sony, but there's also the possibility that Netflix or Apple or Amazon would step up and finally buy a film studio as oh, well. Oh, yeah, Apple. They've, they've, got, they've got some cash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens there since nobody bit last time. What else are you hearing? There's been some smaller things that have happened this year that have obviously 
I mean, for obvious reasons, gotten drowned out in all the different movie news and the news in general with everything else that's gone on this year. But on the more recent front, AT&T sold Crunchyroll to Sony. Now, what Crunchyroll is, is it's a streaming platform that pretty much functioned as a catch-all for about half the anime coming into the U.S., Mm. and they were funneling that into HBO Max. But now AT&T has sold that to Sony. Sony owns Funimation, which is the other anime catch-all, which means now they've pretty much got everything. And what's interesting about that is Sony does not have their own streaming service. They have a standing deal with Hulu, which technically means that although Warner Brothers and AT&T didn't sell Crunchyroll to Disney, Disney's still going to get the benefit of it all because that's all going to end up on Hulu. It always comes back to the mouse, doesn't it? (laughs) It really does. (laughs) And one other interesting thing that happened back in the spring is, you know, I I never really see anyone talking about it, but Paramount bought the Miramax Library. They own all of those movies now, with the exception of the ones that, you know, went with the, the Weinsteins and Dimension. So on that front, for my horror fans out there, it's a good thing that Blumhouse already has Halloween ends planned because Paramount's going to have a stake in that franchise after the current David Gordon Green trilogy is over. So Universal and Blumhouse may not be able to make any more even if they want to. Wow. The plot thickens there. Yep. A lot lot of uh, things pretty much quietly happening behind the scenes this year. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have the whole HBO Max deal where last time we talked it had just dropped. Now, two weeks later... 80% 80% of Hollywood is pissed off at Warner Brothers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of chaos and uh, backdoor dealings and things shifting around. One of the things that we wanted to find out from you before we let you go, Schlocketeer, is uh, mm-hmm. what's your favorite Christmas movie? Yeah, we wanted to ask you because they asked us that this morning on our TV gig. And, uh, of course, I said Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted and still want to say Calvert, but You I- didn't. Nope, and I'm still, I'll go with A Nightmare Before Christmas. That's a good one. It is a good one. And for for all the people that still argue, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, we broke it down to this way. Try to rewrite it and take Christmas out of it, and you'll find that a lot of things just don't make as much sense. True. Is that a good way? Yes. All right, it's a Christmas movie. Oh, okay. Well, mine would be Christmas Evil. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Okay. It's not it's not a wholesome choice, but hey, I am who I am. <laughs> <laughs> you are who you are. The Schlocketeer, that's where you can find him uh on Twitter. Catch up with all the latest news. It's Daniel Baldwin. Hey, have a great Christmas. We always appreciate you checking in. Uh, thanks for having me. Merry Christmas. All right. So obviously Christmas week, a big week, a little quieter next week in between uh, Christmas and New Year's. Smiley face is coming out. Also, Shadow in the Cloud. And Climate of the Hunter. All the things that those movies have in common is I've heard of none of them. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to find out. We are. And that will give us some time to count down the best films of 2020. Yeah, so we'll talk about those next week as well. Since it looks like we only have three new ones to talk about, we will assemble our list. And we've got it mainly there, but just needs a few tweaks. Yeah, I think there are two more that we're planning to watch, Mm -hmm. and then after that, we just need to sort of WrestleMania our way to a decision on the (laughs) the ranking. Firm it up. All right, well, in the meantime, let us know what you thought about any of these big movies for Christmas weekend, and really 
not a stinker. No, not a, not no. a stinker, no. which uh, we really we really like to like to see, especially on a week like this. So let us know. Always fun to keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf. It's M A D D W O L F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And as always, the main website where you can find our written reviews, other fun stuff, other podcasts, all the time. It's at MadWolf.com. And by the way, I should say to everybody that follows us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, you're welcome for that bikini shot of hope on vacation, huh? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Until next week, have a fantastic holiday. Be well. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Happy holidays. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>